pray with me? Father, that should be our life's cry to exalt you. Because you are worthy of it all. All the sacrifice, all the perseverance. Father, you are worthy of it all. May that be our heart's cry. May that be our heart's desire. May we live to worship you and give you thanks. Speak to us, I pray, in the short minutes we have, Father, that we can take something away from your word to get us through the week. Uh, Something that we can chew on. Something that, uh, Father, is not my words, but your word. Because we know my words don't mean much. But if we stand on your word, we have a foundation that can never be shaken. We thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the foundation in my life. It's not been easy. The journey's not been easy. The road's been tough. But Father, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. Speak to us, I pray, in your name. Amen. I just want to say it's great to have my family in the service over here to the right. Uh, They came in for graduation. Uh, My mom and brother and family over here. All the tan ones over here to the corner. Uh, So uh, I'm jealous. But uh, thank you all for being here. Don't talk to them too much. I don't want you all to find out too much about me. Uh, Jeremy was talking way too much earlier to my brother. I got to watch him. So I'll be escorting them out of this door after the service, okay? Um, Very quickly. (laughs) Very quickly. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter uh, 1. James chapter 1 and James chapter 2. I want to start off with this verse, Hebrews 11, 6, which is on the board that says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists... And that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. Earnestly or diligently seek him. I want to ask a tough question this morning, which you all know I love to do. And it's really a question that I hope challenges you. Challenges you as a church. Challenges you individually. Because I think it's a question. If we want to be a vibrant church, if we want to be, have a vibrant Christian life, here it is. And my question to you today is, if you had to say to me, Brooks, I am a listener of the word or I am a doer of the word, what would your answer be? If you had to say, I am a listener of the word or I am a doer of the word, what would your answer be? Do you just read it? And try to apply it to, or, and apply it to your life, or do you just read it? Are you trying to daily live out Scripture, or are you just someone that listens or shows up on Sunday, and we call them Sunday Christians? We probably have enough Sunday Christians. Let's be honest. We have enough people that just show up on Sunday, live one way during the week, and show up on Sunday and say Amen, and then when we leave here in a little bit. Your life looks a lot different. In other words, how many of us practice what we preach? How many of us practice what we preach? 
It's important as a church, as a Christian, as, as a follower of Christ, that we practice what you preach. I personally believe it's why we see diminishing numbers in churches because Christians are not daily living out the Christian life. They're not daily involved in God's Word. We're not practically living it out. I mean, I'm here today, uh, and this is probably my hundredth, uh, probably hundredth sermon since I've been here in this church. And how many of you have really taken what the Word of God has said and applied it to your life? How many of you are in this room who have been Christians for a long time and can actively and honestly say, I have chewed on that scripture long enough and I have applied that particular scripture to my life. I have seen the change in my life. I have seen and made the adjustment from what scripture says into my life. If you guys didn't see it in my life, would you believe me? If you didn't see me on a daily basis living out scripture as your pastor and, and, and making the adjustments in my life, would you believe me? Would you believe this Christian life is authentic? Would you believe this Christian life is great? It's no wonder the church has so many critics, if we're honest. Because how many of us are really living out Scripture? How many of us are making the adjustment? When I took this role on as a pastor, I understood I had to make some serious adjustments and changes in my life. There was an active change that had to happen. When you guys came to know Christ, there should have been an active change that takes place. And a conscious and intentional change that takes place in your life. How many of you are the same spiritually right now as you were last year? How many of you can quote more scripture than last year? Or do you just randomly quote the same popular scriptures that we all quote all the time? I mean, we know them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, plans, you know, or whatever it might be. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all else we can ask or imagine. We know them. We have popular verses that everyone quotes. You've heard them since Sunday school, <laughs> right? And so when we look here in James, everyone look, look at James verse, verse uh, James 1, it says this. It says, do not mer merely listen. And I'm reading from the NIV today. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. But what? Do what it says. Do what it says. Live it out. Do is in what? An action word. And it says we're supposed to live out Scripture. We're supposed to apply it to our life. We're supposed to make active changes in our life. We talked in Sunday school about seeds getting planted in us and then that seed germinating in our life and bearing fruit, right? You will know someone by their fruit. There's some of you in this church, I can tell you've been actively Growing spiritually because I'm seeing the fruit of what you're putting in. Some of you that walked in these doors two years ago are not the same person now that I see. You're actively involved and that, that seed in your life is growing, germinating. 
and there's a fruit in your life, at least evident in this church, what does it look like in the workplace? I'm not there. What does the fruit look like in your workplace or your sphere of influence? Are you different today, right now, than when you walk out of these doors in a few minutes? That's the test. That really is the test. We say, I say it all the time, it's not how effective we are in here that counts, but this is good, but what? How effective we are when we leave this building. Because that's what matters the most. And so what does your life look like in your sphere of influence? Are you the same person? Are, are you living out scripture consistently? Not just picking points of scripture that I want to live out like we do. We like to justify scripture, don't we? And just pick out the pieces that we like and feel good. But boy, when it gets to a tough scripture like this one, do what it says. Ah, ah, I might have to struggle with that a little bit. Because some scriptures I can tell you aren't easy to live out, right? Some scriptures, man, punch me in the gut sometimes. And I got to read it and, and, and try to digest what the scripture's saying. But we know the goal of the New Testament is to live a holy and righteous life. And the only way to do that is to do, live out scripture, apply it to our life and our pursuit of holiness. And your life has to look the same. Your life has to be consistent. You want to have an impact in people's lives? Your life has to be consistent. If you think about people that you really look up to and you really respect, the reason you really respect those people is because they practice what they preach and they're consistent. Even if they aren't Christians, it doesn't matter. You can take church out of it. But the people you look up to, you respect and you love, you like the consistency in their life. Right? They're telling you, they're living out, they're truthful with you. And so I ask you this question, are you listeners or are you doers of the word? Look over to uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. And, and I want to apply this rest of this scripture to our church and to you this morning. James chapter 2, verse 14. And, and I think this is important as doers. This is important as for the church. This is important as individuals for us to grab a hold of this right here. To grab a hold of this nugget right here. Remember we read, if, if it's impossible to please God without faith. In, in other words, if you don't have faith, you don't please God. It's very simple. If you don't have faith, you don't please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Let's read, read with me. It says this. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep him warm, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by what? Action is, is what? 
dead. Faith without action is dead. The church, part of spiritual growth, involves action. Faith is one part of our spiritual life. Yes, coming to know Christ. But if we don't have a faith that is active, your life's going to be actually stagnant. You're not going to grow spiritually. Part of the spiritual process is putting faith into action. And that is helping others in need. That is a huge component of our Christian walk is helping others in need. And in our day and time, it does become more difficult. When's the last time you stopped to a homeless person on the side of the road and asked them what they needed? We see the signs. Minute, I did it this week. I saw I got pulled up by uh, uh, Walgreens and Ten Box, and there was a guy standing on the cor- uh, on the middle there, right, saying he needs food. And I judge him by what how he looks. And I'm like, ah, that dude looks pretty healthy to me. But I, I never stop to ask what his needs are. And it's easy in our culture today to overlook these kinds of people. It's easy in our culture today to get so wrapped up in our own world that we overlook meeting the needs of other people. Sharing the love, as Jesus says, with people. It's that component of action that we have to... that has to become amplified... In our life. When's the last time you helped someone out? You know, the church does a great job in, 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 in helping some needs, right? I, I, believe, I believe that. I, I believe it's important to, <clears throat> to uh, give money to organizations. But the trend I'm starting to see by a lot of people is they prefer to give money to another organization versus going out themselves and being on the ground floor and helping people. A lot of us are becoming more content of being home in our own comfort zone versus actually physically hitting the road and doing the work ourselves. Many people are coming complacent with just giving money to an organization versus helping someone in need. Let's read on. It says this. It says, in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. They believe it. Remember, if you believe in God, you've got to believe in Satan. You can't believe in, you cannot believe, cannot believe in Satan, right? You have to believe in him. If you believe in God, you have to believe in Satan. And they even believe there's a God. Verse 19. It says, you believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Verse 20. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. I don't know about you, but this story of Abraham fascinates me as a dad. I don't know if any of y'all have ever put you in the spot of Abraham. Anyone ever done that? As a dad, I mean, you talk about obedience and trust in God. This is the ultimate test. I mean, Abraham is told by God, I need you to take your son up on the mountain to be sacrificed. How many dads in here would do that? You talk about obedience. I mean, this is the ultimate test of obedience. And so what does Abraham do? I'm sure he had to have a conversation with himself. Anyone talk to themselves in here? I mean, come on. Anyone talk to themselves? I talk to myself. He had to say, God, you need this. this, this." I mean, he's human. A lot of times we we forget that these guys in the Bible are human. There's no doubt in my mind when Abraham came and when God came to tell Abraham, go sacrifice your son, he had to go to Sarah and say, Sarah, I'm done with church. I'm done. I mean, I'm done with this, this, this God thing. There's, do you know what he's asked me to do? Do you realize what I've been called to do? I mean, and maybe Sarah was the one that encouraged him. Right? Maybe it was the wife that actually encouraged him. Rachel has to keep me in check all the time. But he had, to be, he had to think, this is a crazy idea. God, you're going to tell me to go up to the mountain and sacrifice my son Isaac. But I trust you. I trust you, God, that when I get up there, no matter what, even if I have to kill Isaac, you are sovereign God and you know all you will take care of everything. Faith? Does that require a level of faith? Does that require a level of trust that sometimes is unimaginable? That God, no matter what, even if it requires me to sacrifice my son Isaac, you know what's best. You know how to work this out. You know how to work all things out. So I trust you in this process. Difficult choice. But what did Abraham do? He followed through. Most of us, I feel, even myself, I don't know if I could follow through with this task that Abraham had set before. But here's what I love about the end of this verse here. And I I want you to read it with me. It says this. In verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called what? God's friend. See, the more we put faith and action together, the closer you're going to become to God. The closer your relationship you are. When you start to see God show up in your life as you put faith into action, your walk with Him, your journey with Him, your spiritual life has no option but to grow. 
No option but to get closer to him. And I believe that's why Abraham was called a friend of God. He followed through. He, he saw God show up. He saw God work. He stepped out in faith to put faith into action. And as he did, that intimacy with God grew. That intimacy with God, that relationship with him grew. And if you're here this morning and you're stagnant in your faith, it's maybe because you're not putting enough faith into action. Maybe it's because you're not trusting him enough with whatever you have going on in your life. Maybe someone in here is, is, is experiencing a time in their life where they need to step out in faith. God's nudging you to do something. He, he's asking you to be part of his plan, what he wants to do with your life. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a, a circumstance ahead. But you're just on the edge and you need that little nudge to see God show up. To, to see him work in your life. To see his presence come into your life and, and fill your life with intimacy and a deeper spiritual walk. Because when you step out of faith and you start to become closer to him and you're pleasing him and you're doing the things with your life you're supposed to be doing, that's where fruits of the spirit start to take place. And then the joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. And so as you stand with me today and we close out the service... I want to ask you the question again as we leave here and we step out for another busy week. We step out of these doors for whatever you're going to embrace this week. We don't know what that's going to be. We don't know what that looks like. Some have had a, you may have a pretty rugged week this week. You may have had a pretty discouraging week. I, I don't know. But I pray today that you will become doers of the word. I pray that what you hear here today, that you won't just let what I said fall off, disregard it as you exit these doors. That your life will begin to look like scripture. That your life will begin to look like Jesus. Ephesians 5 says what? We're supposed to imitate God. And I say it all the time. If you wake up in the, in the first thing in the day and you say, I want to look like Jesus today. It may change your day. I want to be like Jesus today. It may change your day. I want my life to look like him. I, I want to take scripture. I want to apply it. Man, what a game changer that's going to be in your life. When we begin to pursue a life that looks like Jesus. Because that's the ultimate goal here. Is for our lives to look like Jesus. And he's given his word. A lot of people are like, I want to hear from God. Where's God? I don't hear him. Here he is. If you just open it up and read it and apply it. 
And we have enough holy people, holy rollers we call them, but we need people of action. We need a church of action. We need doers. We need people to say, yes, I am going to meet the poor. I am going to meet the needy. I am going to meet the widows. I am going to meet those that are hurt. I am going to open my doors and have people come into my house that are needy and need help. And I promise you, your journey will take a whole new spiritual depth to it. A whole new spiritual meaning when you become doers of the word. I know even in Rachel and I's life, taking in students and kids over the last few years, not easy, but spiritually, it's been a blessing that we cannot describe. It's been hard to initially say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. Man, struggles. Ah, man, I think, but the rewards and the blessings and the spiritual journey has been amazing. So let's be a church of doers. Step out of your comfort zone. Take a scripture this week and practice it. Live it out. The world needs us. The world needs to see us. The world needs to see more people that are living scripture and loving each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and everyone in this room. God, may we be doers. May we take your word. May we put it into action. May we live it out scripture. Because at the end of the day, it's not what happens in this building right here. This has nothing to do, Father, with my depth and, and love for you. We all in here have our own personal journeys. Yes, this is a time to come and worship you and give you thanks for how good you are and what you've done in our lives and to just take a, an hour to give you thanks. But God, we know that when we walk out these doors, that's where we really need to be effective. That's where we need to live consistent lives. That's where we need to practice what we preach. That's where we need to show love and be like Jesus. And may we be a church and a people that are doers. We love you. Bless us this week. Give us a great week as we journey. God, whatever... Wherever you take us, whoever comes in our paths, may we be bold enough to reach out and love on someone this week. Give us a great day in your name. Amen.
Father, you are awesome. That's why we're here. To worship you. To give you thanks and praise for how good a God you are. What an awesome, sovereign God you are. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit to be with us in this service. And may this song be our cry this week. That you are an awesome God. May that be our worship this week. To reflect on you and how good you are. How loving you are. The provider. The way maker. The miracle worker. The promise keeper. You are. May we rest in that this week. Be with us as we open your word, I pray. In your name, amen. If you remain standing, please, and we'll look at Luke 22, Luke 22, 39 through 45, says this, and he came out and, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Amen. You may be seated. This week has been uh, an exciting whirlwind tour for me. Um, New experiences. Of course, I've never had a daughter that graduated from high school before. And uh, that was a, a great experience and a, a, a fun experience to be a part of. And I had family come in town that had never been here before. And so that was as exciting to showcase Las Vegas uh, and to showcase uh, all the awesome people in this town and this community and uh, to travel around. And then we took them to Branson and did all you can do up there. If it looks like I've put on 10 pounds, it's because I have. Um, you know, we like to eat, and, um, and uh, so that's been fun, and go through all the, to- uh, all the stuff. We didn't go to Silver Isle City, but we did go, oh, just a bunch of places. It was great, and um, I hurt my back along the way. That's a sign of age, but um, it's been great, and uh, then we had to drive to Memphis to my mom, so we got back. We were gone for like four days, got back, and then we had to drive to Memphis, and as you know, the bridge at Memphis is cracked and broken. So the quickest way to get there is go all the way up through Jonesboro, Paragold, around from Kennett, Missouri, back down to Covington. Because the wait going across the bridge to Arkansas, I mean to Memphis, was like three hours. So this was like an hour and a half out, out of our way. 
And that was fun. We drove and we came within like tornado weather and dust storm. And, you know, we got a bunch of Bahamians in a car that, you know, were like, what do we do? There's no water around here to get in a boat to escape. So, uh, and my brother was feeling, you know, of course, he's, you guys know, he's, he's a boat guy and that's what he does for a living. So he was definitely out of his element. And we get to my mom and, um, we, we, you know, we just had a great time. And so the last day there... We went uh, to a church I'd gone before, uh, a Methodist church, and um, my, my mom's stepson, Justin, he plays the pipe organ at this Methodist church. And this Methodist church was built in 1856, and everything is original. You walk into this church, and it's, I mean, it's just beautiful, the, the glass windows, and I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you just walk in and you feel like reverence. Like, it's just all of a sudden, there's this reverence, like, ah. Oh. And so, uh, they were touring my brother and them around, and it was great uh, just to see. And that's usually what happens when I preach. I make people cry. Uh, that's okay. Don't worry. And so, we went in, and I didn't know this before. Um, and like I said, I'd been there before. But throughout the whole time we were there, there's one thing that stuck to me the most. And as you can imagine, this Methodist church has this big pipe organ. As you can imagine, a big pipe organ up here. And uh, it has this railing that comes along the front of the platform, okay, the stage. And then it has padding where you can kneel down and pray. Okay, so it's this, this old-looking, very reverent-looking altar that runs the whole length of their stage. Now, their stage is about double the size of this. And Justin was telling me, he said, man, this altar was the original altar that the men who were going to the Civil War would go down and kneel at and pray before they went to the Civil War. And I thought about this altar, and I thought about prayer, and I thought about the reverence of that. Can you imagine in that day if you were a mother or a father or whatever, and, and your, your sons were, were walking down to that altar and, and kneeling there for prayer, before they went to battle. I mean, they, they knew what was about to happen, right? They knew battle was about to... I mean, their lives were going to be thrown into battle. Many would never return home. And I just sat there for a few minutes looking at this, thinking the importance of the altars in our church, the importance of prayer when we're going into battle, and, and it was just this, this great, like, I don't, can't explain it for me, but it was this great, I don't know, spiritual moment that I had thinking about the men that knelt down at that altar before they left for war. I even had to walk up and just touch it just to say that I, I felt it. And I, I was re reminded of this passage we just read I was reminded about this, this passage that, that in Luke chapter 22. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, verse 39 through 45. Because this passage talks about Jesus and, and, and what he had to do before he went into battle. But before he was about to go into the hardest trials of his life. This was the hardest trial of his life. Remember, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes there to pray right before the long journey to 
to the cross. Right before that long road to Golgotha, we have communion in here. We do remembrance of it. He, he goes to this garden to pray. And I just want us to read this again because I believe it gives us some great examples of what it looks like and what we need to do before we're going to battle, before trials are going to happen, or you know you're about to step into one. You might even be in one here at the moment. But I want us just to examine this short scripture and, and take away from this some short nuggets this morning as it relates to what Jesus does before he goes to battle. If you read with me, please, verse 39 says this. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. What I found interesting in verse 39 is it says the disciples even said it was his custom to go pray on the Mount of Olives. It was his habit. He had formed it. It was his intentional place that he went to pray. This wasn't new to the disciples. They had seen Jesus retreat to this Mount of Olives many times. And it was his custom, which meant his life, he had this habit of prayer. And if I had to ask you this morning, do you have that habit of prayer? Is it part of your life? Is it a custom? Is it a habit that you have instilled in your life? And I'm not meaning just a habit of prayer again. That just means we just, you just pray as you're going in the car. You know, we love to use that verse, you know, pray without ceasing. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But there's something special and miraculous that happens when you pull yourself away and spend time with the Lord. Jesus did it. Jesus did it before every miracle that he performed. Before every, everything he was about to go into, he withdrew himself for prayer. And I think it's, it's evidence of his prayer life. The disciples wanted to follow him. What, I've said it before. What is the one thing the disciples wanted Jesus to teach, him, teach them? They only asked him, Lord, I want you to teach me one thing. What was it? How to pray. I, I mean, imagine that. I'm, I'm blown away from, about, about it, actually. Out of all those miracles, I would have been like, Lord, I, I've, said, I've said it before. I want to walk on water like Peter. That's, that's my miracle. You've got to do that. Or, or whatever else it might be. But they came to him and said, Lord, I, we want to, you to show us how to pray. They'd seen it. They'd seen Jesus retreat. They'd seen him come back. They'd seen him before these miracles. And so they followed him because they knew there was something about this prayer life that was important. That they knew there was something attached to this prayer life that they wanted. And I feel like it's the same today as we look around, and I'm going to get into this a little bit, about our prayer life. And the reason why we don't see much of it in church anymore, and the reason why we have such a hard time understanding what an active prayer life looks like is because we don't see much of it anymore. It's not as evident. There's this little room in this Methodist church that you go up to, and it's a little, little side stairs you wind up to, and there's, you get into it, and it's only about, a, I don't know, 10 by 10 room, maybe? Really small. It's got these little pews and these beautiful pane windows, 
and, and it's got this huge Bible that sits there open, and it's this prayer room that they built back in the day for people to go up in and pray during the service. That, that, that's what the ladies did. They would go up and pray. And, and even today, there are a few ladies that still go up in this prayer room and pray. And, and while we were there, my, my little niece got this Bible and she, she said this little prayer and stuff, you know, on her own. It was one of those, like, moments where everyone just gets silent, like, what's going on? What's happening? And she was trying to pray, even in this room. And she's only four years old. But she, she almost understood what it was like to be in this room. And there was a sense of, of worship in this prayer room. I, I can tell you personally, as I walked into that room, I could tell that over years and years and years, people had been in that prayer room earnestly praying. It just felt like that. I mean, when you walked in, you could just tell that people had been burdened. People had been to the altars. People had been praying earnestly. For God to show up, for God to work. Praying for people in the church. Praying for that church to succeed. It was just an awesome experience. And so verse 40 says this. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Out of all the things Jesus could have told disciples to pray about, he chose what? <laughs> temptation. Temptation. It's interesting. And I believe he, he know, Jesus knew how powerful our flesh is, how powerful our desires are, how temptation leads us to sin. And he said, look, if nothing else, guys, pray that you do not get into temptation. Because temptation leads to what? Sin. And Jesus understood the power of the flesh. He, he understood the struggles that these guys were going to have. And so Jesus, as I say, describes the, 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 the antibiotic to sin, which is prayer. He subscribes prayer to battle temptation. And I don't know about you, sometimes when I'm tempted and, oh yes, trust me, your pastor gets tempted. I'm normal. I'm human. Okay? But, but is it the first thing I think about when, I'm, when, when, I'm, when my flesh... Is really telling me what to do. Desiring something else. Is, is, is it the first thing I resort to? Is prayer the first thing that comes to my mind? If it's not, it's one of those habits that I need to form. When I'm feeling tempted, when my flesh, everyone knows some days you wake up and man, you, your flesh is just at you the whole time. Temptation seems to be everywhere. And, and, and those days are hard, especially if it catches you at a, a low time, which Satan loves to catch you at a darker time, at a low time, and, 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 and your, your thoughts, and your, your thought process, your thoughts, everything you're involved with. That day is just tearing you up. But how many of us battle those days in prayer? How many of us battle those days in, in serious prayer? Where if it's only for two minutes, three minutes, you withdraw yourself and, and get somewhere quiet and say, Lord, I, I need help today. I, I, I'm battling this certain thing in my life right now and I need help. I, I need you to show up. I, I can't do this on my own. 
And so Jesus says, hey, guys, girls, temptation, the way to battle sin, the the way to be strengthened, as we're going to hear here in a second, is through prayer. Verse 41 says this, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. You see, kneeling was an act of reverence and submission to God. The act of acknowledging God as the sovereign God, the holy God. Altars have been part of church history since Genesis. And Abraham and Moses and all those guys had altars and sacrifices to the Lord. And, and all throughout church history, the altars have been a significant part of reverence. And worship to the Lord. This act of coming to the altar and kneeling down and saying, God, I I trust you. You are sovereign God. You are holy God. I I need you to work this out in my life. I'm, I'm submitting myself to you. And saying, Lord, as the holy God, as a sovereign God, I need you. If I had to ask the question, which you guys know I love to ask questions, and whenever I ask these questions, you'll always know I've asked myself these questions during the week. Because <laughs> i got to be honest with myself. I'm going to ask you all the question, i got to ask me the question. But, but the question is, when's the last time you knelt down in prayer out of reverence and worship to the Lord? When's the last time you felt like you needed to get before the God of this universe, the the sovereign God, and and to kneel down in his presence and say, Lord, here I am. I need you. I need you you in my life. I need you to work this out in my life. I I, want to glorify you with my life. Use me. But here I am, Lord. Protect me. Guide me. But I'm coming. I'm bringing it all to you. When's the last time that's happened? At home? I'm not even talking about here in church. I'm, I'm talking at home. I mean, it used to be. I don't know if it still happens, but, you know, you used to see the pictures of the little boy, you know, when he was little, the, the, the grandpa or dad would say, let's pray. And, you know, there'd always be this prayer time and they'd always kneel down at, the, at their bed before they, went, before they went to sleep. And they'd say a little prayer. And you used to have cartoons, at least I did, I don't know, in the Bahamas. I don't know if they had it here in the States. But there would be these little cartoons of, 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 of boys and, and girls before they went to bed praying, you know, and saying the Lord's Prayer, actually. But when's the last time you've done that? Or the last time you've seen someone do that? The last time you know of someone who was a prayer warrior? I can remember walking into my grandparents' house all the time. And there'd be times I'd walk in and I would disturb my grandmother from praying. And when I'd walk in, she'd be getting up from the sofa like this, knowing she'd been praying for my family. Knowing she had been praying for me. And that's what I saw. And it's something awesome about that, isn't it? To know that someone would kneel down to the God who loves us, who created this world, to pray for you. 
To, 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 to know that someone is praying that earnestly for you or, or your kids knowing that you're praying that earnestly for them? It's not something we should hide either. I, I want my kids and girls to know I pray for them. Not just throughout the day. I want them to know that there are specific times in the week that I am praying for them. That the dad is taking time out of his busy schedule to get with the Lord by himself to pray for my family. Is it, does it take intentional time? Is there, is there times in my life where I'm like, no, I can't do that this week? Is there, I mean, I told Ali yesterday, Ali leaned over to me yesterday, we were having, uh, we were at Bass Pro Shop in Memphis. Woo! Okay? <laughs> and... And of course, it's awesome, right? I mean, who doesn't like Bass Pro? If you don't, you need to come to these altars if you don't like Bass Pro Shop. Uh, we'll, we'll get that straight right here this morning. But, and she, she, she said something to me, Allie did. She said, Dad, I just feel so, I feel so dry this week. And the reason she's feeling that way is, is because she hadn't been able to spend time in her devotions. Life had been so busy. We've been doing so much fun stuff. And I leaned over to her and I said, I said, honey, I do too. I said, because I haven't had the time to spend with the Lord that I've wanted to this week. I haven't had that intention. I missed my Saturday prayer time with him. And I said, I can't wait to get back in that routine. And she said, yeah, me too. Because that's what it feels like when you start creating that prayer time in your life. It becomes a habit that you miss, that you want. And so when's the last time you knelt down and prayed like Jesus did before he went to battle? I, I, see, I see a lot of people going into battle and, and they refuse to put prayer in their life. I see a lot of people about to enter trials and, and, and stuff in their life and, and there's this lack of Prayer time. And when we read the scripture here, Jesus and his disciples knew what it meant and the power behind prayer. And I'll show you. Let's go to 42. Saying, Father. So he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus opens his prayer with a statement that we all need to make in our prayer life. Not my will, but yours be done. How many say that when we go to prayer? How many of us say that at the very beginning of our prayer time? Lord, I, I come to you today and, and all of this stuff that's going on in my life, all that's lying ahead, all that I'm about to go into, Lord, your will be done. Not mine. Whoa. There's a certain bit of trust and release that has to happen there, isn't it? There, there's there's a, a big part of us not being able to control what happens at this point. When I enter, because prayer is not all about you and me. It, it's about coming to the Father and saying, Father, you know what's best. I am your child. Your will be done. And can we rest in that? 
You know, I know in my prayer life, sometimes I come to the Lord and say, Lord, look, man, I, 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 I need to win the lottery. <laughs> you all know what I'm saying. Like, I want certain things to be done my way. And my prayer life sometimes centers around that. Me, 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 me. God, do it my way, my way, my way. You see the problem, fix it. I don't like him, do something with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 I need you to... When, if we read the Lord's Prayer, which is what Jesus does here, he starts off his prayer with, Lord, I, I come to you because I don't know the answers. Lord, I come to you in reverence and awe because of who you are. And I'm laying this down at, at your feet and saying, Lord, that health issue I have going on, that health issue with my family, those finances that are out of control, the job that I'm looking for, the situation that I'm facing at home, my marriage, whatever it might be, Father, not my will but yours. Your will. And there's a lot of power in that release. And it says this in verse 33, verse 43. We're going to close out. It says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. There's nothing, no other reason why Jesus went to prayer during this specific time, was he needed to be strengthened for battle. He needed to be strengthened for what lied ahead. And, and, and that's the point of prayer. It, it's this connection time with the Father that, that yes, sometimes he does take, take care of trials, but, but there's times where you need to be strengthened. There's times where you need to be rejuvenated. There's times in your life where you need the Holy Spirit to come into your life to strengthen you, to give you the power that you need to handle the circumstances ahead. And yes, it can be done. Yes, you can read God's word. And, and yes, you can come and Him worship. But one of the most powerful connections you're going to have to strengthen you through your trials and circumstances ahead is in that place on our knees to the sovereign God saying your will be done and allowing him and his strength to get you through. It says the angel came and strengthened him. And as Beth comes up and we close, I truly believe in my heart that one of the reasons why we have so many emotional issues going on, one of the reasons why we see church attendance diminishing, one of the reasons why we don't see revival taking place, one of the reasons why we don't see, we see church in a dry spot. A lot of us feel like we're in the wilderness. Some of us don't feel like we're in touch with the Lord. Some of us... The list goes on. And I truly believe it all comes back to the altar. I truly believe it comes back to that connection with the Lord in our prayer life. 
on our knees, intentional time, saying, Lord, your will be done. Prayer is a time where we actually communicate with God and say, Lord, you have the right to interrupt my life. When we say, Lord, your will be done, we're saying, Lord, you have the right to interrupt my life and do what you know is best in this circumstance. And I get it. There are times in our life when we're going through stuff and we don't know why God's taking us through this. We don't know why family members going through this. We don't know these things. Unanswered questions. I get it. I've been through some of them. But where else are you going to turn? Where else is there to go? But on our knees in prayer. And I pray today, as we close out, that we'll be a church that prays. That we'll be individuals that learn and crave prayer. That crave an encounter with the Lord. Whether it's at this altar, whether it's home in your house, whether it's up on Mount Nebo, it doesn't matter. The point is that we want to withdraw ourselves from the busyness of life to encounter God. And we want to bring it to Him and say, Father, you are an awesome God as this song talks about. You know the circumstance. I bring it to you and your will be done. And leave from that place knowing that whatever the outcome is, Whatever the reason, God has it in his hands and in his control. Not ours. Not ours. And I can tell you, folks, many of you in here know me, that when you get to that place, no matter what circumstance it is in your life, and you can turn that over to the Lord, where you don't have control of it no more, but you can rest in that saying, Father, it's yours. What an amazing amount of peace comes in your life. What an amazing amount of peace, the God of peace, who he says he is, takes over. He has no boundaries. And when we give him control of every part of our life, we find peace. We stand and pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. God, it's only a short period of time in the week that we come together and open your word. And so, Father, we pray that we take your word, even this passage this week, today, and during the week, we're not only listeners, but we're doers. We don't just take in what I say here today and what your word says today and just throw it out the window. But as we leave here this afternoon and this week, that we will try to implement this habit of prayer into our life.
It's a lifeline. It's something we all need. We all need that connection, that deeper connection with you. In, in, in a day and age, Father, where so much is uncertain. But we know you are still alive. You are sitting on the throne. You're still working. You're a miracle working, way maker, promise keeper, God. And may we learn how to give up control of everything in our lives and rest it and give it to you. Bless us this week, I pray, everyone in this room as they face different obstacles and journeys this week. You love everyone in this room, everyone watching. May we be people that serve you. We love you, God. You are an awesome God. In your name, amen.